So how did we get here, Anna? We walked here today. I think that's going to be a reoccurring theme. I think we're going to be walking here most often. So we were using the sidewalks here. And um, so what did you think about using the sidewalk to get here? I like sidewalks. I don't actively think about them. Um, Now that I'm focusing on it, I'm like, oh, they make me feel safer because I don't feel like I'm going to get hit by a car. They know not to drive on the sidewalk, Mm -hmm. usually. And then it's like a clear walking space. Thumbs up for sidewalks. Yeah, right? I think there should always be more sidewalks. That's usually on city plans, like when they're trying to improve an area, is like adding sidewalks. That's always a big one. You know, I've actually been petitioning to add a sidewalk to the street that I live on. (laughs) Not very well, (laughs) but I'm doing it. It's such a small street, and not too many people live on this street, so I can imagine how it's not a priority, which is really sad. There's actually a lot of people that live on the street, and it's purely apartments, and most people live in these apartments to go to school, and it's a good walking distance from school, so I constantly see people walking. I'm seeing, like... Every time I drive, maybe maybe five people walking on that street specifically. Oh, that's really dangerous thing. Yeah. And y- your street is like pothole city too. Like yeah, It's the worst street in the city. <laughs> <laughs> Out of every street I've driven on, it is the worst. I actually wanted to plant a tree in one of the potholes just to like show how deep the pothole was. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so today is actually related to maintenance a little bit and and like street maintenance especially um so i read this book strong towns and it's by charles marone he's a civil engineer from minnesota and uh, he actually uh, went through a lot of these things that we're talking about and um, wrote a book on how to identify these problems and like solve some of them and like why cities are like that you know Identify problems like with having sidewalks or what do you mean identify problems? Oh, actually with your street maintenance. So um, this, uh, as an example, he was talking about how, um, who deals with street maintenance. And so who would fix your street if it got ever got fixed? The city. Exactly. But the city (laughs) doesn't really have a budget for that. He gives this example of how, so he went to Italy and it opened his eyes and Uh Yeah, and he was, like, realized how cities follow some, like, ancient rules or, like, um, laws of building. So when you build somewhere, the denser it gets toward the center, the more expensive it is in the center. And then the outskirts, there's more room and it's less expensive. And this is kind of, like, a law of the city uh, and, like, how all cities were built like this in civilization. Yeah, makes sense. Right? Competition for space. Yeah, exactly. And so how these cities would start is like you kind of start with, a, say, let's start with someone's home. And so you would have like one room and you wouldn't build anymore that you couldn't build or afford. So you would just build what you could and then you'd slowly add on to it. Kind of like when you're kids, you have more kids, you add a room, you're on a bigger size lot or not bigger size lot, but a, not squished up against another house when you're building your house. So you have room to make the house bigger to be a family home have a business on the front and like kids in the back in Italy he was saying like you could have like he thought this was really eye-opening was he walked by this um, business storefront and it was kind of like a fast food place Mm -hmm. and um there was one person kind of manning the front but you could see that it was a house in the back so you could take care of kids while the other adults in the house were probably elsewhere in the city making money and so it was like 
worthwhile and like pragmatic to have like where you lived and worked yeah. and like slowly adding on this reminds me of two things one is bob's burgers because i've been watching that like literally all day today yes and they have you know they have the the burger place on the bottom and then they have their apartment upstairs yeah um, i was actually asking my roommate today i was like how hard must it have been to find a restaurant like or a commercial and living space where it had like enough bedrooms for each of the children like a four-bedroom apartment I've never seen one of those so I was like I just thought that was interesting but then um it also reminds me of my grandmother's house because that's exactly how her house was built down in Mexico it was um it's very oddly shaped for a house now um just because it was built that way like one room at a time mm-hmm. and the rooms are kind of maze-like because <laughs> there's at least like two rooms that you can't really get to without going into like another room first like they don't have a hallway that connects them yeah um and so <clears throat> very very different that way but my grandmother had a store uh so she had a storefront on one side of the house and then she moved the front door of her home further away from like the front door of the house but that was for different reasons um and then like she had all the kids in the house like whenever they were home from school and stuff and then they would yeah yeah exactly and this is how a lot of people used to build so take um your street also sidebar my aunt's house used to be like that too you would have one room connect to another room Mm -hmm. and like it's not connected to the hallway and yeah. um, I still have dreams about stuff like that. Like, mo- a lot of my dreams are exploring spaces like that, and I love it. Like, I love these dreams where I can just explore areas and stuff. That kind of shows how big of, a, like, a nerd I am about design and stuff. Yeah. But. So when I was, like, little, I, I stayed in one of the rooms that, like, you had to go into another room. So, like, my brothers were having a sleepover with their friend, and, like, he came and, like, stayed in the other room with them. And then uh, I was sleeping in the room that connected to the hallway, and so they had to go through, but then the bathroom was connected to the room that I was in. And so, like, they would walk through, like, to use the bathroom and to the room that I was sleeping. And in the morning, uh, this guy told me that I talked in my sleep. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) how dare you? (laughs) The audacity telling me that I talk in my... No, I'm just joking. But, like, also, I was like, what? (laughs) Anyway, continue. That is so funny. Um... (laughs) But yeah, so this like kind of humorous stories and like just having a unique family home isn't really a thing anymore. So um, how streets used to get made is where you'd have these tiny, maybe one room homes and everyone on this street kind of would build their um, businesses and their lives and slowly build it up over time. So it would only increase in value over Mm -hmm. time. And say your street would start off as maybe like a dirt path and then you put out as a gravel road. And now these, as these families start growing and as these businesses start to start growing so that value has added in this tiny neighborhood in this tiny community that they start putting maybe paved streets okay and so but um ever since world war ii marone really says this as like a big event so uh, world war ii is the great experimentation period where um buildings started exploding off like and growing rapidly and so they started building bigger things as is so you would build like clear-cut woods to build a neighborhood and the neighborhood would have houses that are already have like four or five rooms and then the plumbing's already done in the street the electricity is already hooked up and the streets already paved and so from there they only decrease in value oh right what yeah because um a lot of neighborhoods will put up laws where you can't have business businesses in your house right and um and 
once you have, like, say, a car, you drive it off the lot, you don't add anything to your car, it's going to decrease the value. So houses, as being built, quote-unquote, as is, will decrease in value. That's mind-blowing to me right now, um, partially because, like, we just had this major world shift with the with the COVID-19 pandemic, and I've only seen house values increase. Oh, yeah, because of the land they're on. Yeah. So the okay. actual house... Nothing you can do to the house will increase in value. Of course, you can put, like, new cabinets in, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, maybe redo the lawn. But, like, really the thing that um, we're seeing now is that we're having a decrease in supply of houses, so the costs are coming up. Okay. And the cost of living is rising. So it's not actually the true value of the house. Thank you for bringing that up, though. That's a great observation. And he does not tackle this in his book. Okay. Yeah, so it's just, like... He didn't know. When was this book written? That's a good question. Um, I think it was written on like, uh, it might be after the recession, but he doesn't really talk about it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so kind of weird, but he also doesn't talk about inflation. He's a civil engineer, so he's talking more on material objects and less about, I don't know, um, appreciated value maybe. Yeah. Okay. Because the next thing that it made me think of was there was this like mansion in the neighborhood that it, we moved into. Um, <clears throat> not now, um, but like there's a, there was a mansion in a neighborhood in Texas. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> and uh, it had been torn down because the land was worth more than the house was and the, the house was keeping it from selling. Yeah. The house was so worn down. It wasn't kept up. Like the owner had passed away and none of the people who inherited it who inherited it um put any effort into restoring it or like maintaining it in any way. So they just demolished it. Yeah, and he kind of touches on this a little bit. So during the Great American Experiment, quote unquote, after World War II, we started building a lot of highways. And these highways served a purpose during World War II. It acted as evacuation paths in case there were there was like nuclear warfare. Yeah. But so you're telling me before World War II, like we didn't have highways or houses the way that we have them now? We okay, yeah, we did, but um it so it wasn't after World War II there was an explosion of, of suburbanation. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there wasn't very many suburban neighborhoods. There were people on the outskirts because you can always afford to live centrally, you know, mm-hmm. cuz according to the laws of land prices of what he says is like it's more expensive to live in a set in the center so you would have these outskirts communities because they do follow these laws but once you add the highways and he talks about um do you know anything about like the white flight that happened after world war ii oh it, it can be a couple phrased a couple different ways one is like increased suburbanization okay um after world war ii so the gi bill got passed and then the government made it easier for vets um, to get mortgages and to go to school. And so the quality of life rose for many people who are um, mostly white, I would say. But um, so the white flight is people taking advantage of these um, programs, like mortgage programs and like GI bills, and like moving to the suburbs. Okay. Yeah, for increased housing. And so there was a bunch of houses housing being built. And so. Suddenly, when you build these highways, land values drop centrally. And oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's more accessible. You, you don't need to be in the center of everything to get to it. Exactly. And it's easier to get to these places. You aren't in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. So 
taking your mansion example, uh, it starts creating these like weird um, relationships with the land and it's it's sitting on because that mansion was not really anywhere specific, was it? It was just kind of out there. A lot of this like weird land logic kind of happens. Like I went to a driving range with my dad for his birthday because he likes golf and I, you know, I wasn't about to play golf, but I'll hit some golf balls with him. So you kind of choose a driver. And um, the guy was selling the driving range and it's basically just an open field where you hit golf balls. Mm. And it's because the land was too valuable there because it was right off of a busy road in like a expanding community. Like there's so many people moving in this area, but they aren't one, expanding the roads and two, really providing any real infrastructure <laughs> because it's kind of like a paradox for people living in this area because you move there because it's cheap, but then you uh, they're complaining that there was so much traffic. And it was like, well, yeah, <laughs> you are moving somewhere that doesn't have a lot of services or infrastructure or maintenance being put into it, and then you complain. And so- Yeah, because you have to go get the things and like most people that, everyone that's living there is experiencing the same thing. Oh yeah, and so it kind of, using these roads kind of ruin this like stability of pricing. Because- Oh, okay. Yeah, because you don't, like we said, these places that we're talking about that are a certain price aren't central. You know, they're just kind of randomly valued like that. And so Marone is kind of saying, like, this is how we ended up having, like, this sprawling development in America with all these kind of crazy prices. Like, have you ever seen those, like, lots downtown that you can park? Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, so before World War II, this was kind of rare because you did want to have your business centrally, and it did make sense financially to have buildings. But when you built these highways, it started to become, like, not worth to have these some of these buildings. So they demolished them and then create parking lots because you don't know what to do with the land. So it's kind of weird. It's a weird effect that building all these highways did this. Yeah. And well, it makes me uh, focus a little bit more about how we build our cities for cars in America. Yeah. He talks about that too in the book. Like he, the, some of the things that a walking will do is to connect you to the, your community. You'll feel authentic. You know, you feel like you are experiencing where you live. And then he also talks about to feel competent at what you do. So when you're in your community, you're helping your community, it gives you a sense of belonging. And these are the, like the three things that he uh, advises younger people to have in a community. Okay, yeah. Um, what you were saying about walking, connecting you to community. Um, I remember growing up in Mexico, there was always the plaza. And on Sundays, it was always super, super full of people uh, just walking around. And, like, that's where you'd go to, like, see people. And that's even died down in Mexico from when I was little. Um, so I just think that's really interesting, that whole idea of, like, walking, connecting community. Um, but I also, I went to Italy on a study abroad trip. And that was one of the things that our teacher pointed out was, like, how, as a culture, Italians, after work, before dinner... I think it was at that time, um, they go for a walk around their block or wherever, and everybody does this, and you go and you see everybody. Yeah, and like, uh, speaking of the plaza, this brings me to my next point. You, you know, when you're in a plaza, say you're in a town square, like mm -hmm. the town we're in, we have some businesses kind of around a park or like the courthouse. And um, so it turns out, so a lot of these buildings were 
built in like the turn of the century, 1900s, 1920s, 1930s. So like these businesses are squished together. They kind of share walls with another business, mm -hmm. like a strip mall kind of, mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of parking. They're usually like walkable and like give you like a Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls. Have you ever seen that show? I have not. Oh, okay. But you're, you know what I'm talking about? Like the... In the Northeast, these kinds of towns are built a lot. Like older towns be that were like built before cars were really invented. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so it turns out they did a study. This block, say you take two blocks. One block is like Stars Hollow. It's like these old towns. It's like the town. We are living in the downtown area. Mm -hmm. And then you take um, like a big box store. The big box store has plenty of parking. You can say like Costco or Best Buy. These have the same area and they have the same maintenance done by the city. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out, could you guess which one is more profitable? Is it the big box store? No, it's, it's not? not. It's not, which is crazy. So the big box store has a huge parking lot, which doesn't give them any more money. And also, it's only one business on the lot. So yeah. you have things like Taco Bell that have drive throughs or like big box stores that have, you know, drive up to. But... They don't, they make say like a million dollars, but these businesses that are in downtown or like a small town that share the walls, mm -hmm. they're not, might not always be businesses there, but they'll always have multiple businesses. So it's actually financially salient for cities to have this denser building for like the maintenance that they do. Wow. Right? That's so eye-opening because... It really is. And it it's just really cool, too, to, like... Um, that was one of the things that I romanticized a lot when I was, like, in Italy. And I was in... I think it was Luca. There was, like, all these different specialized shops. And they were just really cute and exciting to go into. You know, like, the bookshop, where it wasn't, like, books. It was, like, sketchbooks and, and journals and notebooks and, like, things like that that were, like, all just, like, specialty-made. Mm -hmm. Um it was just really interesting and different, and, like, I, yeah. Right. I and wish we had more of that here. Yeah, and it turns out, so, like, uh, in the maintenance is an important part of giving the city because you can have stores that make a lot of profits, but then if this big box store goes out of business, like, uh, the movie theater in our town went out of business, and it was abandoned for, I think, almost a year and a half. They mm -hmm. now are going to do something with it, but they didn't get revenue for a whole year f that the city could use. Mm -hmm. You know, and so how does the city get revenue from businesses like that? Um, I think it's taxes. Okay. Uh, but the more important thing is giving these places maintenance. So when the development buys land to build something, they'll give the city um, money to do for future maintenance. But the city, so the city lets them build like a skyscraper. Mm -hmm. And this happens a lot now because we're uh, like, it, you know, sprawling is such a big part of city growth now. Yeah, yeah. So the city will take this money and use it on maintenance projects that are lagging behind because the city doesn't ever have enough money. So how they afford things is accruing debt. And so, yeah, most cities in America will take a bunch of debt and then let developers um, also take on debt to build something. And then they'll take the money that they have now to do back orders on their maintenance oh my goodness so that's how your streets get paid for is through assuming more and more growth and if this sounds like a ponzi scheme it is like history is never going to get fixed is what you're telling me <laughs> yeah exactly well no i would say it will because um 
I don't the, think too late. Well, the developers that are on your street probably made a deal with the city to fix it after they're sure done. Sure, hope so, because they're really tearing it up. You're going to have to wait, but yeah. <sighs> okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> anyway. I'm okay with it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, so these cities are always trying to expand because how will you do maintenance for things that you're supposed to fix 10 months ago, 12 months ago, 24 months ago, if you don't have new projects coming in? Yeah, this is a really inefficient system. Exactly, and that's what Charles Marone advises against because he's like, um, you can get grants for a city to do build new highways and yeah. new projects, but it's really hard to get grants for maintenance, and that's... Why is that? It's because maintenance isn't sexy. No, yeah. <clears throat> right? Like no mayor, no city council person's gonna be like, I'm gonna fill all the potholes, even though sidebar, the Houston I'm mayor. I'm so down for that, like <laughs> the Houston mayor. Oh yeah, he, on his speech of getting elected, he's like, I'm gonna fill 50,000 potholes. And because, you know, mm -hmm. people were like, this enough is enough. But most of the time, like our infrastructure bill that, we're, that was trying to get passed in Congress, did not get passed because no one likes maintenance. That's like the crap you should have done before, right? And so but you can't help it. Like things wear, things break down. Like oh yeah, and maintenance is essential. That's mostly what his book is about. Is about um, like how cities are trying to build over things, build new things, sprawl instead mm -hmm. of replace things because you don't have no one. There's no budget for maintenance a lot of the time. So streets like your street mm -hmm. keeps going down in quality why we're moving out and expanding building newer and newer things with the money that we get from like say like the imf world bank you get some grants you get funding from the federal government you get funding from like these developers and then you keep growing like it's a ponzi scheme oh my goodness this <laughs> reminds me of a book that i read um ugh, ugh, very dystopian is what it makes me think because it just it's just non-functional is what it sounds like to me and the book is called Uglies. Wait, by really? Scott Westerfield. Oh my god, I read that book. Yeah. Um, it's like later in the series, I think, when they like leave the community and then they're like going in all these ruins. That's what it makes me think of is that like the more we like try to move out into the you know, the more we sprawl, we're just like destroying the natural like habitats that are around as much as like as much as we are, you know, to, to develop and, like, just plowing down land to build these neighborhoods, to build new buildings, and then we're not taking care of what we already have existing, and then we're just, like, moving until those ones are, the old ones are, like, just decaying. We're just running away from ourselves. Exactly, and that's, like, America was built on this idea, and we called it Manifest Destiny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sorry, too deep? Yeah, no, it's just, like, that's really upsetting me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's fine. No, I, no, um, I get it. But this, um, okay, so I'll bring it back. So back to your street. So who should fix this street? Um, well, the city's responsible for it. Because they assumed responsibility. But Marone uh, ends up saying that cities shouldn't take responsibility for maintenance like this because your street will never provide the profitability. I mean, it's an apartment building, so if it was just single family housing it would not but like since there is technically businesses there and you're renting there's five apartment buildings and yeah. one business oh okay so maybe there is a like there would be a justified reason but if it was on say like my street 
There would be no like real reason to do that. It should yeah, have it's been all residential. It, yeah, it should yeah. be the community that solves these problems because the city can't assume this much maintenance because the maintenance ends up costing way more than new development in the long run. Yeah. So because you can build one thing, say you build a skyscraper in like two years, but you assume like the next forty to sixty years of maintenance on that, and the city takes on this risk. You know, Midland, Texas, I think is an example of that because they have a lot of abandoned skyscrapers in their downtown. Wait, really? Yeah, they do. And it's really dangerous. Like oh people God. get hurt because they sneak into them and they like, the floors will just fall out under them. It's horrible. Anyway, I'm like, this is a horror podcast now about buildings. Oh, no. Ah, they're all decaying. Oh. <laughs> Zombie buildings. But, um, okay, so the next part of that I wanted to talk about is he talks about this thing of like when people or your community, or your city, or developers, like, uh, say, like, we need to build this thing, and building this thing will save people X amount of dollars. And you're like, how could paying for building something save you money? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, he's like, building this road will save people $30 million. And you're like, you know, not knowing anything about that, you're like, okay. But... Wait, it sounds like you're going to say, say something. Yeah, I'm like, the I would go I would go through the thought process of like, oh, yeah, probably like, you know, car repairs and like the time that it takes me to drive past. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. No, you're on the right track. Like, I'll make sense of it. Yeah. You give me that information and I'll just make sense of it. Oh, yeah. I re- that sounds good. It sounds like, you know, that's a good salesman. I trust the city. <laughs> I trust this developer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they're trying to turn a profit. Oh. But, okay, so when you say something will save you X amount of dollars, what they're really talking about is they're converting time saved in the commute to wages wages earned. Yeah. So this doesn't actually make sense because you don't earn money on your commute. That's true. And you can't claim it on your taxes. I found out this year. That sucks. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, it's that you... That's not how wages work. You, I only get paid per hour. Yeah. Or, yeah, the time that I'm there. So, like, when someone tells you that this road or this this bus, this, like, this it, sidewalk, this blah, blah, blah. What they're was, doing, sorry, what, they're, what the developers are doing with that estimate is that they're extending the value of your time based on the wages that you earn. So, like, the time that you're not getting paid for, they're saying your hour is worth however much you get paid for. And so we're actually saving you the time that you're not getting paid for. We're saving you this amount of money based on, like, how much you earn. Yeah, but money doesn't work but like it that. It doesn't. No. No. Yeah. When people, like, people said this about Uber, like, if you made passive income off of checking your emails, yeah, checking your emails in an Uber would save you money. But 90% of the people are not like that. Like, I do not earn money by not doing anything, you yeah. know? And so using that, that's a logical fallacy. And he calls this propaganda math. Say it with me. Propaganda math. Yes. So, yeah, watch out for this. If your city ever tries to do this to you or um, companies will do this, developers will do this, I'm sure even your friends are like, oh, this will save you time if you help me with this. And you're like, no, it doesn't. I don't actually, like. Yeah, no one's paying me to sit in my car. Yeah, exactly. So if anyone tries to trick you, just know it's propaganda math. It's not real math. The math is not mathing. Oh, okay. So another thing about propaganda Fantasy math. math. <laughs> um, okay, so they assume that the road will not get busier. So this some, somehow will magically solve your problems. This new road. We're widening the highway. It's going to save you $30 million. And you're like, N- road building roads actually cause a lot of traffic. So it doesn't yep. really make sense. <laughs> 
And then, um, oh yeah, it's not real money. So the $30 million you save is not gonna be in anyone's pocket and it's not gonna go into the community. So it's fake money, it doesn't make any sense. And then the, oh, and the jobs. It's so when they're like, oh, we need to build this bridge to nowhere so people can have jobs and get paid. So those wages actually don't pay off to the community at all. You know, like they could have, you know, done their wages another time. And that year of you building, say, the highway or the bridge to nowhere, that actually doesn't, like, pay off. It disrupts off. all of, like, the commute and all of that stuff that's already happening. Yeah, and you're going to, so you're going to have this bridge for, like, 40 or 50 years, but then, oh, thank God I got to pay someone a minimum wage for one year to build this bridge. Like, the math does not math that way. Yeah. So he brings up that. So, yeah, be wary of propaganda math. That's one thing I learned from this book. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. And you, you've done this for me in another area, coupons. I love coupons. And uh, yeah, stores don't care how much you're spending. They just want you to buy more things. If they can get you to buy more than you intended to go for by units, that's what they care about. And I didn't know that. And now I'm playing a game whenever I go to the store. How much can I only buy the things that I went there for? Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to work at a grocery store, and they were telling me that. That's how they calculate their earnings per day. They're like, we sold 100,000 units. They don't actually calculate their revenue. I bought 100,000 pieces of gum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my God. Uh, Yeah, it's like those batteries that are always on sale at the grocery store and they're they're in the register. It's like, they want you to buy that. Yeah, impulse. Impulse, yes. The gum. buy, Buy the gum. Buy the gum. Buy the jerky. You need a soda. (laughs) <laughs> Don't forget your beef jerky. Don't forget your reusable bags. M and M's, three for five dollars. <laughs> oh my God! Or the snakes of the your region. Oh yeah. The brochures. I those are tempting to me. I actually really kind of want to get one of those because I was working an outside job this last year and uh, I saw a couple snakes and I wish I could, I wish I knew who they were. I couldn't you just take a picture of them? I know that's wrong, but like. I did take a picture of them. I still haven't looked it up, and I don't know how to look up. Like, <laughs> Does anyone know what the snake's name is? <laughs> Have you seen this snake? I was about to say, like, the wanted poster. Have you seen... <laughs> it's just a snake. The snake. <laughs> and then the, this picture, the snake blends in with the gravel. <laughs> so it's, like, barely, barely visible. <laughs> Have you seen this gravel snake? Scared me. That little guy scared me. I was moving rocks, and this snake just, like, slithered out, and I was like, oh, my God. And then I, like, went and told somebody, I was like, there's a snake over there. I can't really work right now. And they said, okay, I'll help you. And they got a shovel, and they came out, and they're like, where was the snake? And because I because I was freaked out about it, they thought it was, like, a dangerous snake. And so and then they were like, oh, it's this color. And I was like, no, it's actually not that color. It's this color because it's, I didn't know what kind of snake it was, so it was dangerous. To, anyway, that was a long story that was going nowhere. No, that's a big little good point. Like, I actually, I saw a snake when I was biking, and I thought it was kind of cute. Like, oh, And then my boyfriend saw it, and I was like, look at the snake. And he's like, he had rode up next to me, and he's like, ah! And like, <laughs> I mean, he didn't yell, but he was like, he freaked out. And I was like, no, leave it alone. It's cute. It was like a tiny little baby snake. Today? What day is it? It's steak day. Hold on. Can I tell you something? Something wild happened. About snakes? No. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with any of that. Um, I whew, was in my apartment 
and yesterday. This happened yesterday. Uh, a bird flew out of my laundry room, which is like in the center of my apartment. And I was like mopping the vent <laughs> on the ceiling and then a bird just flew directly at me. And I, I have no idea how it got there. <laughs> it was wild. It was in the ceiling? Yeah, yesterday at 11.50 a.m. Wait, no. Did it get out of your apartment? Yeah. Yesterday at 9.35, my roommate grabbed it with a with a rag and got it out. I have no idea how it got there. It was literally like... Anyway, that was crazy. What? <laughs> so, was it doing its laundry? Yeah. What, what would birds wash if they did laundry? Their feathers. But then put them back on? Yeah. Huh? Stick them back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I don't even know where it was though I opened the laundry room I had been in the laundry room like three times already because I was doing my laundry I had been in, that's the part I think that I'm not communicating is that I had been in the laundry room the day before and that day like multiple times just opening the door going in going out changing the loads like finishing up my laundry I was on my last batch and I was getting it out of the dryer and I was, like, telling my roommate, I was, like, the the vent doesn't work super well in there. We have, like, a fan. And I was, <laughs> Making like, weird noises. Yeah, I was, like, the, vent, the fan's not working really well. And they were, like, oh, maybe it's just too dusty and it's not able to, like, pull all that. Because that room gets so humid and hot whenever the dryer's running. And I was, like, worried about it. And so I was, like, you know, our ceilings are pretty tall. And I was, like, trying to clean it off. And I was, like, I can't reach it. So I'm going to use the mop. And I'm just going to mop the dust out. And so I was, like, mopping the ceiling like a crazy person when a freaking bird flew out my face. And I was, like, <sighs> started screaming. And I was, like, how did, how did this bird even get here? And me and my roommate are freaking out. We're, like, what's going on? And then our third roommate comes out of his room. And he was, like, can you guys be quiet? I'm in a Zoom call. I was like, bro, there's a bird in our house. Like, <laughs> what? Anyway, it was an ordeal. So do you think it was waiting for you to leave so it could take your clothes out of the washer and then put them on the floor like a bad roommate? <gasps> what a bird. <laughs> you just gave them the bird. I wanted to give it nuts and seeds. Oh, and it cute. didn't want any. It flew away <laughs> once we got it outside. Yeah, it wanted to do its laundry, not have food. Yeah, it was like, well, because I was like, you know, most birds die of starvation, and that makes me really sad. And so I was like, there's a bird in my home now. I must feed it. This bird's not going to starve on my watch. You like, have to be a good it. host for the uninvited <laughs> guest. <laughs> you do. You have to be a good host for the uninvited guest. Have you not seen Sabrina? That's like also all old tales like king arthur tales you were like i can't kill this person so i have to send them on a quest that i don't think they'll finish because you don't want to be a bad co you don't want to be a bad host oh my gosh is that how that happens yeah and i've been a, i've been on a quest for like three years what <laughs> are you just now telling me this i was uninvited the whole time yeah they didn't want they didn't want you there i'm so sad <laughs> i'm such a nice host and they couldn't kill you because you can't kill your guest so they sent you on a quest if you want to kill your guest, send them on a quest. Yeah, there you it go. It does rhyme. Yeah, makes mm -hmm. sense. Yep. All good advice rhymes. <laughs> Except the money propaganda. Yeah. Propaganda math does not rhyme. I'm trying to think of one. It's not, it's not happening. What else have you got? 
Oh, yeah. I've got some advice that doesn't rhyme is um, that Charles Marone talks about in his book is that national GDP is meaningless to an individual city. I believe it. Yeah. Done. We don't have to go into that one. <laughs> Episode over. <laughs> no. Jackie knows everything. <laughs> I know everything except for how this bird got in my apartment. Why does GDP, national GDP, not affect cities at all? Okay, so national GDP measures an economic output for the whole area, like the whole country. And so it doesn't address real inequality or long-term stable growth. It just cares about, like, the average. You know how, like, if, like, you had a class of 20 students and, like, um, maybe, like, 30% of them kind of failed, but 70% of them got 100s, then your passing grade would be, what, like a C or a B? And so you're like, oh, the average is passing, so I have no problems. Oh, I see. Yeah. But there are students that are failing. There are students that are not retaining information, they're not paying more. Yeah, they need help. Assignments, they don't understand it, yeah. Exactly, and cities are just like this. So the example he gives is Hurricane Katrina. Um, If y'all haven't lived through this, it it happened in New Orleans, and then the whole city got hit by a huge hurricane I think it was category five or six and then um the wall retaining wall broke because New Orleans is built like a bowl (laughs) and so when the side of a bowl breaks like in floods yeah floods so the whole city flooded and was horrible but the U.S. economy grew because of that what yeah like relief services and like so many you're mobilizing things like um, say like the army reserves is being called. So you're like mobilizing a lot of people and a lot of money is being poured in to fix this situation. Where does that money come from? Um, it could be come from funding, relief sources, and then um, some of it could be like um, finding like hotels would go up because people are using them. People have to mm-hmm. spend money to leave and or to stay. You have to repairs. So a lot of it could come through a lot of the could come through like relief packages from the government it could be a lot of things but people jobs are being created to solve the situation i think this whole thing just made me realize again like how how much like money isn't real (laughs) oh yeah so the u.s economy grew three percent because of katrina that's insane right and so he was arguing like if it was just about growing our economy then we would do really well each year having different cities go through Katrina-sized disasters. It's really sad to think about, like, how much devastation that actually was, though, for so many people. I know, right? Like uh, like I said, I'm from Houston, so a lot of people came to Houston after Katrina. Like, I, I had new neighbors. I had new people at my school because of this. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, they lost their homes. I went to New Orleans in 2018, and there were still X's on the doors. You could see how high their water was. Like, the, from the paint. Yeah. Um, this is actually making me, like, I'm seeing this overarching theme through where our current policies kind of are failing us, and it's usually uh, in relation to catastrophe or, like, disaster or any times of stress. Like, that's where we can see, we can see those cracks whenever there's stress. Yeah, it shows you what kind of things we value. Yeah. Which is, um, brings me to my next point. So how we measure things is extremely important. So if we measure things using GDP or national GDP, we're not 
catching the like devastation that some people are going through or some kind of like because we're like oh actually Katrina was great for us <laughs> yeah the economy's up three percent yeah when people are like suffering you yeah. know and so um uh, how cities are appraised is actually one of those things that we might need a different measurement so infrastructure is built to fail and it needs constant repair and maintenance so once a road is built it becomes a liability but so we Marone says this, but so cities with the same tax base, but with say city A has the same tax base as city B, but has twice the piping, twice the roads, and twice the power lines than city B, will be appraised higher than city B. So city B is smart. They don't use as much roads. They don't try to build things that they don't need. Mm -hmm. So they have less liability, but city A is the one that is somehow appraised higher, even though they have more liability. They have more maintenance. And like more problems because of that yeah and so he kind of points out the like how the math does not math in that situation propaganda math propaganda math kind of yeah if you're saying like i'm trying to think of a city like this i'm sure houston is like this houston is like we're a great city but you like you built a ton of roads <laughs> you have a ton of maintenance so many roads and i've heard a lot of people complain about the roads in houston yeah. I actually could complain about the roads in Houston because I was in a, I totaled my car <laughs> on a road in Houston. It sucked. All right. Um, so we, this measurement makes no sense. Like, it, it's propaganda city appraising, you know, if you want to use the same structure of propaganda math. Okay, so now we got reached to a point of the book where he's like, how do you build a strong town? And his idea of a strong town is something that is, doesn't take on liability, that is like resilient and uses the building mechanisms that ancient city is, has used. So you're not trying to assume a lot of debt and you're not trying to take big chances. You're trying to bet on the small things because when, if you lose a small thing, you don't go into an, a, like an economic disaster. Yeah. So what is, what do these look like? What do resilient strong cities look like? Well, one I think is like, don't assume massive amounts of debt. Yeah. Yeah, like, be smart That's about your like building. That's just, like, good financial advice. Right. Build incrementally. That's what I'm learning this year. Like, if you're trying to do something, do it in small, tiny steps. So if you stumble, it's easier to, you know, pick yourself up after a tiny stumble rather than a big, devastating stumble. Yeah, like a whole crash. Like yeah. a whole fall. Exactly. So take tiny steps. It's, it's way easier to catch yourself if you fall, if you take a tiny step. Rather, if you're trying to jump across, like, a chasm, there's no way you can catch yourself from that. Leap of faith. And if, <laughs> and if like, uh, assuming massive amounts of debt doesn't make sense, like, so a lot of people assume a massive amounts of debt to go to university. Mm -hmm. And um, what you could do instead is maybe go to, like, a community college. I could speak really highly of community college. I really enjoyed my experience there. And I didn't assume any debt from that. Exactly. Thank you. We have a success story right here. Yeah. But yeah. Um, another thing would be maybe going to trade school and, like, so you work off. Not even, not everyone even needs school. Like, I would actually yeah. recommend that you don't go to school until you know exactly what you're going for. Exactly. And you because, try. yeah, you don't want to assume debt for something that might not pay off. So, like, one of my friends is an um, electrician. So he was working why he was getting his, like, his master's, how to become a master electrician. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, making financial sense because he could pay for his family and rent why not assuming more debt so it was like I, I was really proud of him I was like yeah do it because like yeah we need trades like that yeah 
I actually um, kind of want to backtrack on my statement. Like, you can go to school without knowing what you're going for. Oh, I yeah. I actually. Um, yeah. So you're both cases. I am both cases. But you were able to, I think, you weren't able to assume. Not everyone is able to. Not everyone gets to be as lucky as I've been. Like, so just do what's right for you. Take small risks. Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying in the book. He takes, he calls them small bets instead of small big bets. bets. Yeah, yeah, do yeah. small bets because if the bet pays off, then you didn't, you know, you're, you earned a little bit, but you didn't lose a lot. Yeah. And so one of the things he writes that is more tangible is like eliminating gratuitous parking requirements. Some cities require like 20 spaces per business. This is kind of wasted revenue. You know, it is bad if you drive a car, but if it's accessible other ways, you can walk, you can do a park and ride situation. It makes more financial sense for businesses not to have to pay for the, all that extra space. You know, it makes it the bet less big if you have less okay. parking. So it makes sense. I hear you. That's just one of my least favorite things about banks. If I can't park right in front of the place I'm trying to go, I'm not going. I literally drive away. I do this in Austin all the time. I'll like be like, I'm going to go to Austin, and I'm going to go to this place. And then I'll drive up, and I'll be like, I did this the other day. I called you, and I was like, hey, where should I eat? I'm in Austin. And you said, eat at this restaurant. And I said, okay. And then I went there, and I drove around the parking lot, and I couldn't find anywhere to park, so I left. Yeah, I was thinking about that in, like, <laughs> strong towns. So... Um, I think uh, we talked about this in the, that group, the alternative um, transportation group that we're with. And like, it's just a mentality that you have. You're like, if I'm going, if you know that you have to walk, so say you go to a concert, so you know you're going to walk for 10 minutes to get to the concert. This also assumes that you, you have to know the city so much more. I just think that one of the issues with this is the accessibility of the city. Like you have to know where to go to park in order to walk to where you're trying to go. And, like, I don't know Austin as well as, like, other people might. So I don't know where to park in order to get to the restaurant that I'm trying to go to if it's not right in front of the restaurant. Yeah. And, like, um, but how did you know how to go to the restaurant? I called you. (laughs) Oh, that's true. But (laughs) if you were to use some kind of map service or map app, you can do parking and then the place where you want to go. You can do both. Okay. Yeah. Easy enough. Yeah, you don't have to know the area, and you can look, like, I was in, um, I drove to a a different city to meet my sister, because she was driving through that city, Mm -hmm. and um, I just looked up parking before, and I was, like, Reddit, I was, like, where to park in this area, and then they gave me some good ideas, like, park at the public library, because where I was going was central, and, like, the Mm -hmm. central public library was around there, so I was, like, sweet, like, you know, and, you know, I had to pay for parking, but it wasn't that much, and, like, you know, I don't know. It wasn't a horrible idea. It's like, it's more of the mindset. It's not necessarily that you were on, you were not physically able to walk. (laughs) I think it's also expectations because I did spend a lot of like my city life in like the suburbs where there was ample parking. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, resituating yourself. Oh my God. Sidebar about Sims. So when Sims, you know, the Sims video game. Yeah. The only video game I've ever really played. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Um, they tried to make some places look more like real life. So they would put parking spots. But if you tried to render a building with the same amount of parking, it ended up crashing <gasps> their program. Oh, my goodness. Because if you tried to do, like, the whole world, how much parking is in, like, America, it would crash your program if you're just trying to get the buildings. But if they did the buildings, it was fine. So, like, parking takes a crazy amount extra space. Yeah. Like, it was crashing this program. That's why if you go to Sims, they only have four spots when you drive somewhere or whatever. 
because it's just like it's impossible to like have that much like ram or memory or whatever they're using to render that like the processing Yeah. yeah they couldn't process that much space it's crazy just thinking about it in terms of like bytes like it was crashing it anyway so that was uh interesting i hear you i i understand that intellectually but in practice it's like well the spoiled brat in me wants parking right in front of wherever i'm going yeah but it sounds like you had your solution in your sentence you just need practice Marone was talking also about how to revamp uh, style development. So you're doing like the old school style because it makes financial sense. It's like what people, we do it and it was done because it was reliable. Okay. So returning to that. And then the last one is um, cities should not offer costly maintenance in return for vet development. That's Mm kind of like the end, you know, with your street. It's like, there's a reason why they couldn't get to it is because they, you know, you, it's like that friend who can't say no, that's the, that's the city. Like you end up backing out of your agreements because of that. Mm-hmm. Like you can't say no. Wow. Okay. So there you have it. Can you give us a little like summary overview? Oh yeah. So what we covered was that land used to be more expensive centrally and then when you go towards the outskirts of the town it would be cheaper and so that would be a reliable bet so if you were going to that Italian restaurant on the outskirts of the city building your Italian restaurant from your home would eventually become more central because your city will slowly and surely expand reliably and so it wasn't it there the Italian family is doing these small bets to have a stable life and to grow their life as well as their town and so that was one lesson that we learned Check. Check, check. Okay. City development, assuming a bunch of debt, is a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Yep, No debt. Yeah, or like minimum debt. And uh, propaganda math, when someone says they're going to save you $30 million by building... Don't believe them. Yeah. You don't even have $30 million to spend. Or just like if you you have to build something to solve a problem, know that it's going to cost you money. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's just like... That's a fact of life. And then um, national GDP is meaningless to an individual city. We shouldn't appraise cities based on their infrastructure. Okay, yeah. And that's how you build a strong town. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Anna. Yeah, thanks for listening, Jackie. I always love your input. But we'll see you on next episode. Yeah, maybe the bird will pay you rent. If the bird would split rent with me, I think that would be okay. (laughs) Anyway, feed the birds. Feed the birds. Hi. <laughs> City and me, it's our